up? What up? What up? How's everybody doing? Welcome to the show, The Great Commission. Thank you guys so much for um, stopping in and listening once again. Week three, we are uh, making a habit of this show. This is nice. I'm excited. For those who have never joined the podcast, my name is Ryan Abone, and this show is called The Great Commission. I uh, am super excited that you decided to join in and listen. I'll just do a quick recap of the last two weeks of what we've briefly discussed so far. Um, So week one, we got into uh, Galatians, and then we discussed a little bit about sales methodology and just overall mindset and sales as far as my experience goes, what I've learned uh, throughout my sales career. And again, for those who don't know who haven't joined yet, I'm a corporate sales trainer uh, for a Fortune 500 company. And then uh, in week two, we got into cold calling and discovery uh, briefly. And then we also went through Hebrews 9 last week, which was super powerful. And so we've kind of scratched the surface on some sales skills. And so I want to refocus today on another foundational topic. So just to set the agenda for today, I want to get into John 1. And I'm literally only going to read the first couple of verses because I was doing some thinking and just through my priority time this week and, and through prayer, I was really convicted to just say, I think we almost need to take a step back because I certainly don't want to assume that people that are listening are further along in their walks with Christ. Or if you aren't a believer, you know, obviously I want to make sure that we start with some foundational pieces before going into more deeper theological chapters or books. And so I wanted to just get back to a foundational topic uh, in John 1 about the Trinity and what the Bible says about the Trinity. So we'll discuss that. And then I want to get into understanding a little bit about objection handling. Uh, so, you know, last week we dove into cold calling a little bit and discovery conversations and what the most effective way to organically solve a problem for somebody through a discovery conversation, which I thought was really good and, and had a lot of great feedback from, you know, we can take this one step at a time and there's just so many skills to learn. And so, I, you know, I want this to be a conversation. I certainly don't want this to seem like it's a training, even though I do that every day in my job. You know, this is made to be a conversation. And so I want to discuss objections today for the sales topic. So we'll go ahead and get into John 1. And for those who haven't listened either, I want to set why I'm even going over scripture, right? So I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is eternal, that he is the judge of the living and the dead. He was crucified on the cross. He was resurrected three days later. And so he took the punishment for you and for me so that we could have eternal life in him. And so that's what I believe. And and I believe in the Great Commission, which is what Jesus commanded us to do before he ascended into heaven, which was that you go and make disciples of all nations. And so that's the main goal in this podcast is to share scripture and help build up the kingdom. And then also to use, I guess, my experience in my career in sales and try to offer value in a everyday sense of, of how you guys are working through your jobs. And so that's the main goal if you've never listened to this podcast. But that being said, we're going to get into John 1. So I'm going to read the first couple verses and then I'm going to dive into what the text means. So John 1, this is the word became flesh. This is one of the four gospels in the New Testament. And, you know, for those who are new to the Bible, John is the fourth gospel. So it was written after the first three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And so one reason why John is so different from the other three Gospels is because the first three Gospels center on Jesus's ministry in Galilee. Uh, John centers his Gospel on what Jesus said and did in Jerusalem. And so Matthew, so I'm just going to run through this real quick. So Matthew shows Jesus came from Abraham through David. Mark shows Jesus came from Nazareth, demonstrating that Jesus is a servant. Uh, That's Mark 1, 9. And then Luke shows Jesus came from Adam, demonstrating that Jesus is the perfect man. And that's in Luke 3. And then so John shows Jesus came from heaven, demonstrating that Jesus is God. So that's just kind of a rundown of the difference in the four Gospels. And so I'm going to read this and then we will uh, dive into it. So the word became flesh is the title of this chapter. Verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So those only three verses. So I'm actually going to read that again because it's a mouthful. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so we're going to break this down. Um, In the beginning is a reference to Genesis 1.1. So Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so John essentially is saying when the beginning began, the word was already there. That is that the word predates time or creation. Okay, John makes it clear that the word is not just the beginning, but the beginning of the beginning. He was there in the beginning before anything was. All right. So we're going to take this slow, but in the beginning was the word. Okay. Word translated in Greek was logos. Okay. So a lot of you probably have heard of that word. The idea of the logos had actually deep and rich roots in both Jewish and Greek thinking. So Jewish rabbis often referred to God, especially in his more personal aspects in terms of his words. So they spoke of God himself as the word of God. For example, in Exodus 19, 17, where it says Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, a lot of ancient Hebrew editions of that verse actually says Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the word of God. Okay, so in the mind of the ancient Jews, the phrase the word of God could be used to refer to God himself. And then if you look at the Greek side, the Greek philosophers saw the logos as the power which puts sense into the world. Okay, so making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and then kept it going in perfect order. Okay, so they saw logos as the ultimate reason, quote unquote, that controlled all things. Therefore, in this opening, John is saying to both Jews and Greeks, so for centuries, you've been talking, thinking, and writing about the word, the logos. Now I will tell you who he is. Okay, so he's meeting the Jews and the Greeks where they're at, and he's explaining Jesus in terms that they already understood. Okay, 
So it's a brilliant statement. So, and, and the word was with God and the word was God. What he's doing is he is setting one of the most basic foundations of the Christian faith, which is the Trinity. So let's follow John's logic. Follow me here. Okay. So if you need to write this down or type, type it out, I would encourage that because it's a lot. So there is a being known as the word. Okay. So this is what John's logic is in this statement. There is a being known as the word. This being is God because he is eternal, because it says in the beginning was the word. This being is God because he is plainly called God, because it says in the word was God, right? At the same time, this being does not encompass all that God is, meaning his nature. God the Father is a distinct person from the word because it says the word was with God, okay? So to conclude that statement, the Father and the Son the Son is known here as the Word, are equally God, yet distinct in their person, okay? So the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, yet they are both equally God. And then with God, the Holy Spirit making one God in three persons, okay? So it is any other faith or religion or whatever, um, any false gospel would say that Jesus is a God, but he's not God, like he's not equal to God. That's not what this says. It says that the Father and the Son are equally God. They are just distinct in their person. Okay, so they have different personalities. Um, I know that's a weird word because we are people, but it's it's the best we can do to understand. They are distinct in their person, but they are both equally God, as well as the Holy Spirit is equally God. It is just its own person in nature. All right, just to wrap up. So I hope that made sense unpacking that. But in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, talking about Jesus. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So John is boldly speaking about the incarnate word, which literally means Jesus is eternal. He is preexistent and he is the one of a kind son of the father who is himself God. Okay. So it's a lot to understand, right? It's a, it's a mouthful, but I don't ever want to assume that there aren't obviously new Christians or people that aren't believers right now, right? Who are listening to this. And so I do think it's important to help people understand what the word of God says, but especially foundational things, which the Trinity is considered a foundational doctrine of Christianity. So I hope I I didn't butcher that. I hope that was easy to follow. Um, It is a, a lot to break down. So What's crazy and what I love about the word is um, literally it's three verses and we can talk about it for 30 minutes probably if we wanted to. So um, so that was really fun. Um, I hope that was helpful to any of you who, who are, are new Christians or you know maybe who are not believers who are curious about Christianity. But we will now transition into the sales topic and its objection handling. All right. So I've heard a lot of different discussions around objection handling, what are the best practices, what's the best little acronym, right? I think the best way to handle objections and the best way to position yourself to be able to strategically handle them 
is a couple things, okay? So first, it's important to know you're not gonna be able to convince the person to change everything they're doing or that their way is stupid or you know they have it all wrong. Like You're not gonna be able to convince all of that to them on your objection response, okay? It's important to know that. A lot of people, I think, you know, and we all fall into it. I, I've done it before too. We, we want to solve whatever they're objecting to so quickly and so we tend to just give them this long-winded response about why what they're saying is not valid, okay? That's the worst way to approach it because A, you need to validate what they're saying and acknowledge that their objection is, you know, it, it is valid, right? I'm calling you out of the blue. I'm trying to introduce something, okay? I'm expecting you to have something, but I'm expecting you to give me some sort of pushback, okay? So important to understand, you're not gonna solve, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to get across to them with their objection on your response to that objection, okay? So you're most likely gonna solve it later down the road anyway. So knowing that, that's a first point to understand. Secondly, so I'll just tell you a mindset that worked for me. I always treated cold calling or any conversation, any meeting, essentially like a law case, okay? And let me explain what I mean. So a lot of sales, if you think about it, is you are providing evidence to somebody to convince them of something, right? That's what sales is at the end of the day. You're convincing them to buy what you have, right? Well, in order to do that, you have to be able to show them a lot of evidence and a lot of data and a lot of um, you know features or demonstrations or whatever. You're gonna have to show them evidence of why they need your product, right? Well, I take that same approach to conversations and especially when I get objections. So it is on us to prove why our product is relevant and important for them to have. However, I actually switch that when I get an objection. So if somebody says, oh yeah, yeah, we already have a, a vendor in place for that process. We already have a vendor for that. Well, in my mind, what happens is, okay, now my mindset has shifted. It's not up to me to convince them why their objection is stupid or why my product actually is better than what they currently have in their current vendor, right? My mindset has switched to now it's on them to prove to me why their vendor is better. So notice, don't miss that. It starts out when I first am talking to somebody, I'm sort of saying, hey, you know, I saw you do this, we do this. I wanna set up time to discuss this. How do you guys do that today, right? And they say something along the lines of, oh yeah, no, I don't think we need to do that. We already have a partnership in place with this vendor. Okay, so now that they are challenging me, saying, oh no, we already have something in place, we're good. Now, the ownership of the evidence has now switched to them, okay? So in this point in the conversation right now, it's not me proving to them why they need to listen to me, it's them proving to me why their vendor is better. That's my mindset and that's what I think of when I think of objection handling. They're challenging me 
Therefore, now it's on them to prove why what they have is better than what I have for them. So I hope you're tracking with me. But essentially, it is important to understand that when somebody objects to something, there are a lot of reasons why they might object to it. And so I'm going to go through a few of these. First, let's just give a definition of what an objection is. It's an expression or feeling of disapproval, right? Opposition. So an adjective for an objection would be to protest. They're protesting what you're saying. Here's what I like to do. I like to break down external objections and internal objections. So examples of external objections, meaning it's something outside of themselves for the reason why they're objecting, okay? So examples of this would be, let's say their company just purchased something similar to what we're trying to sell. That's an external reason. Um, They have zero additional budget, okay? That's not really in their control. They aren't even the correct person to talk to about what you're trying to sell them, right? That's something outside of themselves. Um, They truly have a busy schedule, right? That, you know, I mean, we sort of can control our schedule, but a lot of times we can't, especially the higher level you go. Let's say they're new to the role, right? You could argue that's sort of internal as well, but they're trying to figure out, you know, the ins and outs of their role and what their, you know, everyday job looks like so they're they're not really in the mindset to look at something new um, let's say they just got a new boss or they got a new head of their department right so a lot of things externally have changed around them their organization just changed structurally meaning you know not only did they have a new boss but their teams have switched up and they have different responsibilities so there's a lot of reasons why externally within a company somebody might say no to even approaching or learning about a new idea or a new product, okay? So now, internally, why would somebody object? Well, let's say um, there's a little insecurity there because maybe they're the person that bought their current product that they have or, or decided to go with their current vendor or whatever. They're the ones responsible, so maybe they're a little insecure and they don't want to even approach looking at something else because they're like, well, nothing's better than what I've come up with, right? So they're a little insecure about it, or I guess you would call that pride. Let's say uh, another reason would be they don't even understand what it is you're talking about when you say you know your elevator pitch or they don't even know what you're offering right or let's say they just most likely this is the scenario they don't want to understand what it is you're offering so those are all internal objections but it's important to note there's so many of these because there is a lot of reasons why people object to new ideas and so here's a good framework okay so when i hear an objection I want to acknowledge what they said. I want to clarify their words and make sure that I understand what their objection is. And then I want to ask a question to take back control of the conversation. A lot of people, again, notice I didn't say anything about a value prop or anything like that to combat what they said. It's simply acknowledge and appreciate what they're sharing, you clarifying what they said, and then asking a question, okay? So we're going to do a few of these. These are typical objections that you would hear in any industry, okay? So if somebody says, hey, you know, I don't know if we really need that. Why don't you just send me an email? Send me some information. Okay, yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. I would love to send you an email. What's your email? And then once they give me the email, I say, okay, great. 
So I'll send you an email after this call. I don't want to send you anything that's not relevant to what you're doing. So can you walk me through what your process looks like today? So notice I got their email. I acknowledged what they said. I received it. I clarified it. Um, But then I also continued the conversation by asking an open-ended question. And I gave my reason because I don't want to waste their time and send them something that's not relevant to what they do. So I want to get some more information. So can you walk me through what your process looks like today or what your vendor relationship looks like, right? So that's a really effective email objection response. Um, Trust me, I have literally had 20 to 30 minute conversations with people who when I first called them and I told them what I did and they gave me that email objection, you think the conversation is going to be over and then we talk for 20 or 30 minutes. So that's a really effective way to get more information, but also just continue down the road. So um, let's say again, they already have a vendor or a partnership. So let's do that objection. So, hey, yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. So you guys work with XYZ company. That's great. So how long have you been partners with them? Or, you know, what do you like about that partnership? What's been great so far? What have been the challenges, right? So again, I'm acknowledging it. I'm clarifying it by saying it and using their words. And then I'm asking a question, okay? Again, so let's use this one. We're happy with what we have. Yeah, no, I think we're good. We're not, you know, we're not really interested. We're, we're good with what we got. No, hey, I, I can hear that. I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing that with me. Um, so you guys are happy with what you got. Can you walk me through a little bit more about what you like about it? Like what has been the best thing that they've done for you in the last two years? Or what challenges have they been solving for you lately? Or how have they been helping you, you know, go through COVID right now? How would that, how has that relationship benefited you during COVID, right? So coming up with another question to ask um, and really sort of challenging them back, right? So that's the way I look at it. If they're challenging me, I'm going to challenge back with another challenging question. So a really good example of a challenging question back is, let's say that you know they use a competitor of yours, right? So you know going into the call, they already use this person. So you you can expect that they're going to say, oh yeah, we work with XYZ company. So understanding that who they're using, analyze before the call, okay, what do we do well? What does this company do well? Um, meaning your competitor. And then what do they not do well? What's their weakness? So in my objection response, I actually want to ask a question about their weakness. So let's say that they're, you know, XYZ company's weakness is customer service. Let's just use that as a broad example. So if they say, oh yeah, you know, we use XYZ company for that. Okay, great. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that with me. So you use XYZ company. So how do they manage your issues, right? Like when a problem arises, what does their customer service look like? How do they resolve that issue for you is probably the better question, right? So essentially, I'm challenging that competitive weakness of theirs because I want them to tell me really, truly, like, what is their customer service like? Because I know it's not very good. So I want them to openly tell me what that experience has been like for them. And you're able to get, again, you're just trying to reach for um, anything to go off of to have a future meeting or have a future conversation of, again, like, like we talked about last week, your goal is not to convince them that they have everything wrong. Your goal is to plant a seed of doubt that they have some things wrong, right? So that's your goal. And I just want to give an example, too, of a real life example of why this strategy is so powerful. If you guys think about, you know, whether it's a loved one, a friend, 
um, you know, a spouse, whatever it is, somebody that's close to you and you're in an argument with them. Let's just say, you know, you're arguing about something. And so the emotion is high. You're you both are heated. Right. What usually happens in that argument? It doesn't get resolved right then. Right. Like most of the time, the two people that are arguing are not even listening to the words that the other person is saying, because, again, the emotion is high. They're objecting to each other. They're not in the mindset to have a real conversation about what the other side is saying. And so normally what happens, how those get resolved is, you know, time will pass or either that day or the next day or whatever. And then you'll talk about that in an open way because you're actually in the mindset to receive any sort of feedback or whatever. So to me, that's what I relate it to. It's really no different here. Essentially, you know, if somebody is objecting to me, I'm not going to be able to just convince them right in that response immediately that they're wrong, right? Or that their objection isn't valid because again, they're not going to see what I'm saying. And so the way I look at objections is I need to move the conversation and their train of thought down the road so I can get them out of their objection mindset. So the best way to do it is to quickly acknowledge, clarify the objection and then ask a question, get them out of that objection mindset. Think of a train going down the tracks and you're just trying to move the conversation down to the end goal where you want it to go. So that's the way I approach objections. That's the way I look at objections. And that's the way that's been most effective for me is again, not coming up with some crafty response to them saying they already have a vendor in place. And then you highlight all the reasons why you're better. Again, they're not going to hear that. They're not going to understand it fully because they're not in the mindset to do it. So again, the best way to actually handle an objection about a competitive vendor is to challenge them with an open-ended question about that competitor's weakness and then continue the conversation down the road and then handle that objection later on in the actual meeting or in the discovery conversation or whatever. So I hope that makes sense to everybody. That's what's always been effective for me. So again, ACA, acknowledge, clarify the objection, and then ask a question open-endedly, hopefully challenging their way of thinking. So I hope that was very helpful, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, if you guys aren't connected with us on Facebook, search the Great Commission Group and uh, request to be a member. We'd love to have you involved in the engagement of the group. So I want to give a shout out to my guys over at 217 Medical Solutions. Um, They are a global medical supply company headquartered here in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, My guy Trey and his partners um, have really stepped up during this time of need in the pandemic. And they supply anything from medical masks, gloves, ethanol for hand sanitizer. So get in touch with them at 901-440-4840. Or you can visit their website at 217solutions.com. If you would like to become a sponsor of the show, we would love to partner with you on your products and services. So please uh, send an email to Ryan, R-Y-A-N, dot sales results, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Ryan, dot sales results, at gmail.com. We would love to discuss a partnership with you for the show. Um, thank you all for your support. We are so excited to continue this. Until next week, we'll see you.